0: Well, good morning. I'm hoping that the one standing in darkness can see a great light. (laughs) Amen. All right. The... uh What a great way to uh, get up to preach, get to celebrate baptism right beforehand. Uh, It was good to see last week and this week, and we're going to enjoy that again, uh, Lord willing, next week. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you've wondered why we baptize and what it means to be baptized. I would invite you next Sunday morning to come to Discover Porter. Uh, If you're a a person who has been thinking about baptism, we'll spend about 10 minutes of that time, 5 minutes of that time, talking about why we baptize. That will be in the gym at 9.30. If you're here and you are a baptized believer, but you've been thinking about becoming a member of Porter, uh, I would love to invite you to come as well. That'll be at 9.30 next Sunday morning. We will have child care provided. Our life life groups will be there for uh, students as well. Uh, But you can come and be a part of that. In fact, there is a a little tab inside your bulletin that's also about Discover Porter. And if you're thinking about coming today and you still have uh, next week and you still have that tab fill that out and on your way out today I'd love for you to give it to me uh, and let me know that you're coming or give it to one of our staff members. Uh, We are in week four of a series that we have entitled Life Change. We've been talking in this series how there are certain types of things that God uses to facilitate spiritual life change within us. There, there are things that just consistently show up when you hear of people's lives who are, are growing, who, whose faith seems to be developing, who, who are increasing in their faithfulness, who are looking more like Jesus. These things just always show up. We talked the first Sunday of the year about how God uses spiritual disciplines, how uh, he uses prayer and fasting and giving, and that's why I challenged you. And I know some of you have taken this challenge to give the first 15 minutes of your day to Jesus, Spending time alone with him, reading his uh, word, uh, to give the first percentage of your income to the Lord, and then to give up something and replace it with time alone with God at other points during the day. Uh, The next week, uh, we talked about key relationships. And almost every time you hear about somebody whose life's changing, you, you hear about someone God has put in their life who is making a significant impact on them. They're modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. They're challenging them to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about how God has given us the Bible and how people who are growing are personally studying and they're setting under the teaching of of God's Word. Today, I want us to think about a fourth thing that God uses in our life to change us, and and that is... Uh, it's just the circumstances you face, those key moments. Now, there is an undeniable relationship between life change and a change in your circumstances, especially an unexpected change. Uh, It's undeniable that that certain moments have this huge impact on our life, and and some are kind of universal. Graduation, that's a big moment in a person's life we we have this feeling of pride and accomplishment but then all of a sudden the drive to succeed starts to move in and to be the best that we can be Uh, a job change is often a chance to start over and to develop new habits when we get married that's one of those key moments where where God gives us the gift of our partner and and that person helps to make us a better person through our marriage A, a baby's born That'll change you. There's no telling how many people home, uh, uh, how many people go to their home with this this bundle of joy and poo, and all of a sudden their life is just flipped upside down, and and and, and it's just oh my goodness, they they've grown up and all overnight. They become less less selfish. They they start going back to church because they realize they need help. These are great moments in our life that God uses to change us. But I want you to understand, pivotal moments are not always positive. In fact, I would dare say that most of the moments that change us to be like Jesus are moments that we would never voluntarily sign up for. They're they're difficult moments. Uh, Most life-altering events are are hard, an accident, a relocation, a a breakup, a bad doctor's report, a loved one dies. If if you listen to people's testimony, you'll hear things like, I was just kind of cruising along on my own, I thought I had everything down pat, but then I lost my job and bam! Or, I didn't know where to turn. Everybody I loved had left me and I started attending church. Or I went through this divorce and a friend told me about God. Or I was laying flat on my back and the only place I knew where to look was to to look up. God has used these things over and over, and it's not an accidental relationship. God has leveraged the effect of circumstances on our lives since he created humanity. You see, we were predestined to look like Jesus, and God uses every event to transform us. Every one he uses to build us and to develop us. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we find the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's the only gospel that records this story here in John chapter 11. Uh, And and I know you probably know it. And I simply ask you to do this. Slow your mind down. Because you know this story, you know how it ends. I've already given away the punchline. Slow your mind down and... And experience it as it unfolds. And and the thing I don't want you to miss is is the relationships between this hard event and spiritual development. And and the good news is you almost can't miss it. Uh, Jesus and John made sure of that uh, as it was given to us. But John chapter 11, verse, verse 1. Now a man was sick. His name was Lazarus. He was from the town of Bethany, which was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, so we 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 learn this story is is about three friends of Jesus. They were these were three folks who had supported his ministry. Verse two tells us Martha was the, or excuse me Mary was the one who anointed Jesus' uh, uh, body with fragrant oil. She wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Verse 3, so the sisters said, hey, we need to let Jesus know what's going on. So they sent a messenger to Jesus with this message, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's two to three days away by foot. And so they send him this message, and they knew that Jesus would know who they were talking about simply by the description And they probably thought Jesus has healed lots of people. Many of them he didn't know. Some he had never met. Of course, when Lazarus gets sick, of of course Jesus will come. So they call for him. Verse 4. When Jesus hears of the sickness, he says, this sickness will not end in death. but, But it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus tells us this this illness, this experience, is going to be for God's glory. And we need to pause there for a moment and recognize that statement is universal. Illness and sickness can be and is often used for God's glory. We don't think about it when we're sick. I don't like it when I'm sick. I like the kind of glory God gets from me scoring the touchdown. Not from me being face-planted in the backfield, you know. I like the the glory God gets when when I'm the number one salesman of the month. Not when I lost my job because of a downturn in the economy. I I like the, the, the glory that God gets when I win an award. Not when I'm completely overlooked. You know, God does get glory through those things. And when a person honors God in the midst of winning the trophy, praise the Lord that they do that, but you need to understand that there is a more normal and honestly a more effective way of using your life to give Him glory, and that's when you go through hardships. There's a time when Jesus says, I'm going to allow negative and hard things to happen in your life so that they can be leveraged for my glory. There's obviously a close connection between Jesus and Lazarus, and they have a special kinship. And you can tell when people have a special kinship. You read the scripture, you know he has that. But I want to take a time out for a second, and I want to tell you about our building. Right now, we are in pretty major renovation. Those of you who have been here for a long time, you know it. If you've been here a short time, I know most of our building looks like a bomb has gone off in it. But we're making do and we're trying to make it work. Well, we, we have almost completed the deconstruction of our, uh, the, the demolition of this first part of phase one. Uh, getting ready to, most of the walls are starting to go back in. We're, we're going to see major changes over the next few weeks and hopefully this entrance is available by Easter. That's our prayer and we're excited about that. We didn't want to lose the opportunity to, share the gospel with whoever God brings to us. That's why if you're here at an upward ball game, we share the gospel at halftime. If you're here at Center Shot, we share the gospel with our children there. We want to share the gospel at every service we have, everything that we do, because the gospel is who we are. But we were thinking, God is bringing all of these construction workers and architects and laborers here to us. What can we do to share the gospel with them? So we decided every Tuesday... We're just going to provide a meal and share the love of Jesus through the meal and as opportunity gives us to share the gospel with them. Last week was our first week. By the way, if your life group would like to be a part of that, call Cheryl Burns. She would love to put you on the list. Call the office uh, on uh, tomorrow morning. We'd love to get you in the rotation. Right now we've got about six life groups. I'd love to have about 20, and that would mean we would probably have to do it once or twice during the entire time. Okay? Commercial breaks over. While we were eating this last Tuesday, 20 guys were there, 20 very appreciative guys. The staff came down. We didn't really do this intentionally. They just said there's food, and the staff always finds their way down there when there's food. And uh, we made our way down, and we were sitting at different tables with different guys. And the table I happened to be at was with a man who said his son was a missionary. Well, that sparked my interest. Uh, He was from Glasgow, used to be from Lexington. I said, what organization is your son with? He said, he is an IMB missionary, which is Southern Baptist missionary. So I was really curious. I said, where does he serve? And he serves now in Northern Africa. But he said he spent his first few years serving in Peru. Porter's got a connection with Peru. We've had a couple of missionaries down there. And I said, we had a missionary down there, his name's... Dale Ragland, he's back now, a pastor of a local church. But he's down there, and he said, well, I don't know if my son would know him or not, but his name is, and he told me his name was Eric Turner, was his name, and who was a part of a local church uh, here. And Dale happened to walk in because there was food. And that was pretty normal. And so I connected them to who had never met, didn't know each other, didn't know each other's name. But I said, Dale, do you know Eric Turner? Eric Turner, he used to come to my house every Christmas. All of a sudden, I watched two people who didn't know each other form close kinship and bonds around common knowledge of of his son. That bond... Oozes off the pages of the New Testament when you read about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It wasn't, hey, I know him. It is, I've spent time in their house. Their home was ministry base in Bethany. Jesus had stayed the night there. They had fed him meals. He was their friend. They have connection. And so, we expect Jesus to immediately drop everything and go. But the story takes a strange twist. Jesus loved Martha and her sister uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he said, "Now oh, let's not go yet. For two days, he stayed in the place where he was at. He did exactly what we wouldn't expect him to do. You know, this is one of the reasons I believe that the Gospels are actually historical documents. You know, because there's there's things about Jesus in the New Testament that if we were trying to create, you know, Captain America or a superhero that was fictitious, we would never say these things about Jesus. Jesus would have immediately found his way to Bethany, he would have alleviated their pain, and he would have moved on. But the gospel writers don't give us this glossy picture. There's, they, they, they say, here's what happened, and there's no way you would include this uh, this this segment in this story. Because for two days... Jesus did nothing. Have you ever felt God was doing that to you? You prayed and prayed, God help me. God, I'll do anything. I'll go to church. I'll give money. I'll let my kids be missionaries. And God did nothing. For two days. Nothing. Two days while Mary and Martha suffer. Two days, Mary's watching on the road. Martha's watching for Jesus. They swap off two days asking everyone who comes from every direction, Have you seen or heard from Jesus? Finally, the messenger comes back and they know he's gotten word. But nothing. And they slowly watch the brother dying. Two days back to the story then after that he said to the disciples let's go to Judea again Judea was the state where where uh, Bethany was and this wasn't a happy place for Jesus Rabbi the disciples told him just now the Jews tried to stone you in Judea you're not going back there again surely not they're reminding Jesus hey in case you forgot we don't have a great reputation there, Jesus. Before we're too hard on the disciples, we do that as well, don't we? Jesus lets a hardship come your way and you think, Jesus, don't you know how poor I am? Or Jesus lets a difficulty come your way and, and you might say something like, Jesus, you know I don't like this hardship. Or you know that I almost had a nervous breakdown the last time this happened. Again, historically the disciples could have edited these stories and made themselves look strong, but instead they looked like cowards. Who does that? But they're normal people, and they weren't worried about Jesus. Here's what they were really saying. Jesus, they were trying to stone you, and if we go with you, they're going to stone us. Let's just sit here. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Jesus, remember the time that you healed that guy who was sick from a distance? How about that? We know you're powerful, Jesus. How about that method? Verse 11. Or excuse me, verse 9. Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, if anyone walks during the night, he doesn't stumble because the light is not in him. And we read this, and you're reading this story, and this story just flows so perfectly, and you come to this, and you go, huh? What's that have to do with anything? Well, what you really have here is a mini trust me lesson from Jesus. He's basically saying, if you do the right thing, I'll take care of the rest. You're walking in darkness, I'm walking in the light. Just trust me in this. He tells them that he's going to go where Lazarus is, is dead. Verse 11, he says, and he said this, and he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Thomas, Mr. Negative, picks up later in the conversation, and in verse 16, you kind of hear Eeyore in this. Well, I guess we ought to go die with him. You know, that's where Thomas is at. Jesus says he's fallen asleep. You know he died. (laughs) I'm confused, Jesus. You let him die. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Let's stay here. Verse 13, Jesus, however, wasn't speaking of a physical sleep. He was speaking about his death. Verse 14, so Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. And and now they're really confused. Jesus, you could have gone two days ago. Now we're going back? Verse 15, Jesus says something that's really strange. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. So that that you may believe. I'm glad you're going to learn a lesson in two. Now let's go to Lazarus. Basically, Jesus is saying, I have something so big and overarching for you to learn. I'm willing to let someone I love die. And people I care about have hearts broken. So that you can learn your lesson." Uh, That so that in your Bible, if you see that in the New Testament, it's what we call a henna clause. A henna clause in Greek basically says, uh, what everything you've read, it happened for this reason. And he says, I've let him die so that you may believe. I'm glad we weren't there, and you want to know why? Because you need to learn to trust me. And this may seem extreme, but in God's eyes, faith is more important than healing. Life change is more important than life that is comfortable. And they arrive, and Lazarus' sister meets them on the road, and she says, Lord, if you'd been here sooner, we wouldn't be facing this. Most of us have said something like that throughout our life. Jesus, this is your fault. I've seen you heal strangers people who were not even in your present. Jesus, you, you healed the undeserving Roman centurion servant, but you wouldn't come heal your friend? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have had to die. We wouldn't have had to watch him die. We wouldn't have had to listen to people ask questions about where's your Jesus friend now? Jesus responds, and I can only imagine what he was thinking. You're right. God will give me what I ask. You're right, I could have healed him, but I'm doing something bigger. I'm doing something so big that 2,000 years later, they're going to still be talking about what I'm doing here through your brother's life. Verse 22. Yet even now, Martha says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will, will give you... I mean, listen to this. As angry as Martha probably was, or at least as confused as she probably was, she... She said, Jesus, I trust you. And I can almost hear Jesus saying, well, that's why I called you. Because I knew you believed. I knew you trusted me. I knew you had faith. Verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha basically says, well, I I know Jesus. I mean, here's what I hear going on. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, Jesus. I know we're at a funeral, and that's what you're supposed to say at a funeral. I get that that will happen, Jesus. That's a pat answer. You know, don't worry, you'll see him again someday. And we will all see each other one day. It is a blessed uh, promise. We will have a big party, and it's not that I... I I don't even think it's that Martha didn't believe that. It just wasn't much help right in the moment. I believe Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Some people believe he's only a good teacher, but I believe he's much more than that. And if you're here today and you want to know what I believe about Jesus, I believe he's God over life and death and over this entire universe because he, he speaks in in the next word and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, if he dies, yet shall he live. The very next verse, he says, And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. By the way, how can that be both? We're physical and spiritual beings. Our body will die, and I believe it will be raised from the dead. But praise the Lord, every person who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, their soul, and their spirit, that which is is captured by God at the moment of salvation, eternal life has been invested into those things, and to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And you never ever have to face death in this life. Both of those things are true. Our body will die. It will raise. Our spirit will live forever. Praise the Lord. But I love what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. You catch that? I I, I, I am. He's claiming divinity. I have the power to pull this off. And he says, anyone who believes in, interesting word there, Uh, it's a combination of words, there's really no Greek word for trust. uh, Trust in the English language is so normal, we think there would obviously be something that is parallel, but there's really not a clear-cut parallel, there's just belief and and and, and 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 faith but he combines this word with belief and he he says to believe in me to to not just believe about me which captures our understanding of trust he says anyone who puts their trust in me will live do you trust me i believe this story teaches us that god will go to great lengths to get you to trust him And I'll be honest, you may say that makes you uncomfortable and I'm going to be honest and say me too. I would rather get the trust me in the easy path than the trust me in the hard path but I want you to understand God's only concerned about the trust me part of it. The path is the accident. The trust me is the destination. Verse 27 Verse 27 Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Wow, with tears in her eyes, Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe that even though you let my brother die and you didn't come and you didn't answer my prayer, in spite of ridicule and scorn, I believe. Can you get to that place where if it turns upside down and the solution is not the desired outcome, can you get to the place where you say, Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes to me. I I know you are the one from God. He asks to be taken to the grave. Verse 35. And he goes there and he weeps. Verse 36. And the Jews who are standing around say he really loved him. You know, Jesus takes time to feel what Mary and Martha are feeling. Sometimes it's enough when you're going through hardship to know that there are people who know how you feel. Jesus took that time, and I believe it was for Mary and Martha, but then I love verse 37. Jesus says, or but, excuse me, some of them said to... to, Hey, the The Jews were kind of goading him a little bit here. Couldn't he have opened the blind man's eyes? Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also kept this man from dying? You're talking about insensitive low lives. I mean, I don't know any better way to say that, but here Mary and Martha are weeping and they just got to get their jab in at Jesus if they can. And then it's on, right? Jesus says, angry in himself again, he comes to the tomb, which was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. He'd been buried for four days. They said, Jesus, are you sure? He's probably already stinking by now. If you have your the King James Version, my favorite verse in like the King James Bible, it says, he stinketh right? <laughs> you know, he did, or he could have. And Jesus says, roll away the stone, Verse, uh, continuing on verse 41. So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, that you heard me. He, he says, I know you always hear me. But I'm praying this so that the people around me know that you always hear me and I'm praying this. Why? Is that hint of again. So they may believe. What's the point of this story? Showing you that he has power over death? Absolutely. But the outcome is so that you would believe. Verse 43. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus got up. And if there were ever any doubts that Jesus was who he said he was, they're gone because the Bible says many of the Jews came to Mary and saw what he did. Many of the Jews who had came to Mary saw what he did. And there's the outcome again. They believed. That's the purpose of this story. So that we would believe that the one who would rise from the dead himself has the power to handle... Our death, our hardships. So let me give you some biblical lessons. I'm going to give them to you relatively quickly, so if you're a note taker, be ready. Number one God has knowledge of every situation you encounter. If you feel like you're going through something and, and you feel like God's not paying attention, I want you to know He knows what you're going through. He, he, he knows where you are. He knows how you feel. He, he's aware of how you don't like to feel. He knows. Number two, in God's economy, tragedy and hard moments are legitimate tools to change your life. Not because God is mean. I'll be honest, I think hardship is always on us. God would rather bring change through the calm, but sometimes it takes the storm to get our attention. He would rather teach us to love, build character, grow our integrity, help us to trust Him through smooth sailing, but let's be honest, in times of peace and prosperity and health, it doesn't create a sense of need in us. I check out on God sometimes when everything's going my way. So for God to teach me that you've got to trust me at all times, God says, all right. Prosperity lures us into thinking we're fine without God. That's why C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When we aren't listening, God may send us attention getters. And we'd never sign up for these things. But God uses circumstances to drive people toward him and toward a real peace and a real joy. And if you open yourself up to him, you'll see God work. Number three, closely akin to this, is sometimes God allows hardships to solidify change. God didn't just use negative circumstances to develop change. He created negative circumstances to develop change. We pray for things to go away. We pray God will make everything better. And God says, I am making it better. I make all things work together for good. Even hard things. For those who love me. And then I would tell you another lesson we learned from John chapter 11. is God is near you when your world is turned upside down. While God is changing you, He is ever near you. Someone might say, while pushing out their chest, "If God's going to keep me if God's not going to keep me out of trouble, why do I want Him in my life?" Philip Yancey said it best: "The only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God." God knows the best thing in our life, and He knows it's when we get to the place where we trust Him. So we learn from this passage that God uses the events of our lives to get us to trust Him. One thing we need to clarify, it's not the event that transforms people. I mean, wouldn't we all agree on that? We see one person lose a job, and they fall on their knees, and they say, oh God, whatever, wherever, here I am. Another person loses their job, and they get bitter. One person faces death, and it causes them to to cling to God and love those who are left. The other person gets bitter and pulls away from everyone. What can we do as believers to try to develop faithfulness within ourselves? Let me give you four things number one, first thing I would tell you is seek God in all of life circumstances. When life changes seek God, whether the change seems good and exciting, where to live, who to marry, where our kids are going to go to school, uh, you know where i 'm going to go to college, or if the change seems difficult, you may only be able to Find out what you're supposed to learn or change through that event. So, so try to figure out in that event, okay, God, what are you doing in my life? I think that's fair. I think it's a fair question. God, what are you trying to teach me? What, what, what do you want me to know? The absolute wrong attitude is reflected in this bad question. God, what are you doing to me? The right question is, God, what are you trying to do in me? Third thing I would tell us is be patient when you don't understand. Just because He's not here yet doesn't mean that He'll never show up. And number four, hold on to God and His goodness will prevail. His goodness will not change. You may have to go to the grave to see it. And I'm not going to pull punches with you. There's a good chance... A lot of your pain won't work out the way that you want it to work out. But the good news is, He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Christ, even if he dies, yet will he live. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word this morning. I pray, Father God, that Your Holy Spirit would use these words for Your glory. God, I ask, Lord, that your word would be powerful in someone's life today. And they would move from trusting in themselves to trusting in you. You hold the keys to death and everlasting life. Lord, may we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.